You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We continue to work our way through a very busy January for this Penn State football program. We're going to talk about one of the latest additions to this roster a little bit later on in the show. Julian Fleming certainly grabbed headlines. We covered a lot of that earlier this month as he made his move over to Happy Valley. We will gain some insight and intel from Columbus when Patrick Murphy, uh, a reporter within the 24-7 Sports Network who covers the Buckeyes on a daily basis, covered Julian Fleming's entire career there on another campus. He will give us uh, the lowdown on his perspective of Julian Fleming's time in Columbus, uh, maybe what is still awaiting to be uh, found by Julian Fleming in Big Ten football here in year number five. So that's coming your way a little bit later down the road. But to begin this one, we have a lot to talk about coming out of Penn State's first junior day of January. They have another one this Saturday, another one the first Saturday of February. But this was a notable event, as we said. There's a chance for new coaches to impress, chance to get younger prospects on campus, evaluate some things, send guys home with new offers. That all happened along with a commitment. Owen Alessine, a massive offensive lineman from New England, is the latest member of the 2025 Penn State recruiting class, which now features eight members and is ranked sixth nationally on 24-7 Sports. And to help us break down that pickup and just so much more from Saturday's action is Tyler Calvaruso, our resident recruiting insider. Tyler, between you and Brian Doan, I'd imagine there's a couple dozen stories up since Saturday breaking down exactly what took place in Happy Valley during that junior day. Uh, a lot of voices uh, to be read about uh, online, 247.com right now. But you and I are going to get into several subjects. And naturally, as I said, the centerpiece here is the commitment of Owen Alessina. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good – it's a good get for Penn State. I think it's a big get for Penn State in a couple different ways. You know, Alessina, you know, him being up in New England, a lot of the prep schools in New England, they play a schedule that – they play a lot of games on Saturday, and that prevents guys from making visits. So he hadn't been in town for a little bit. His last visit leading up to this weekend was the season opener against West Virginia for his his junior season kicked off. That visit went well. And despite the fact that, you know, he hadn't been around a little bit, hadn't been around the staff, he remained high on the board and his interest in Penn State remained high. So when he got back to town this weekend, it was one of the more intriguing visits. It had part of a loaded junior day. I was it was one of the more intriguing guys to make it to campus and really just everything fell into place. When he was in town, you know, he's a three-star prospect. He's mid 500 in the rankings right now, but there's a lot of upside here. You know, he's a former hockey player. When you look at his size, six foot seven, 275 pounds, you gotta be one agile hockey player to be skating around at that size. And that was one thing that Alessina has flashed really throughout Penn State's pursuit of him. He participated in that mini camp that the staff held before the, uh, the beginning of the lash bash in late July. And, it was a pretty solid offensive line group there that day. Mike Carroll was there, who's going to be on campus this weekend. Will Black, the Notre Dame commit, was there. And, you know, we have multiple people really feel that Alessina was the best offensive lineman among that group that day. And I think that speaks volumes considering how talented those two and the other guys who were on campus are. So 
there's a ton of upside. You know, I don't want to call him a project because I don't think he's a project. I think he's a little bit more refined than that. I do think he still has a bunch of developing to do. But that just kind of, you know, comes back to him being a little bit newer to the position and, you know, learning the nuances of it. There's a really high ceiling here, I feel. And it fits the mold of what Phil Trowin has been going after on the recruiting trail with his tackles. You look at the frame, you know, six foot seven, two seventy five. That mirrors some of the guys Penn State signed in its 2023 class. You know, Garrett Sexton's a similar size. Ian Boyer, six foot eight. Caleb Brewer's a little bit smaller, listed at six foot four, but he's in that same weight range and he has the athleticism that Penn State likes out of its tackle. So I'll say it really just fits what Penn State has been, you know, really going after hard on the trail. So that's why I like to get. You know, you factor all that in, then you look at what Phil Trowin has done developing some of these guys of this mold in the past. I think if you're a Penn State fan, it provides reason for optimism with Alessino's ceiling moving forward. I mean, look, they also added Nolan Rucci a couple weeks ago. He's six foot eight. Uh, yeah, I think Phil Troutwine certainly has a type uh, at the offensive tackle position. And you look at this addition here, and Alcine going back and referencing like you did, the, the camp work that we were able to witness a bit of. When you see a guy listed at six foot seven and, and whatever he was listed at, whether it was 250 pounds at the time, now he's 270 plus pounds. Mm-hmm. He's still pushing towards six foot eight. So we'll see where he actually is when he gets here to campus in 2025. But when you see a guy listed that uh, at that size on a camp roster and then you kind of verify the height when they're stretching out there, it's one thing. But a lot of those guys, as you know, Tyler, they go by the wayside when the competition picks up. Uh, oftentimes they're just lacking coordination when you're 16 years old, 17 years old and carrying that kind of a frame. Maybe you can be projecting at, at 22, 23 year old. But a lot of those guys are truly projects and you're not really focused on what's in front of your face right now. You're focused on what the future might look like. And in the case of Alcina, I think we saw in the camp circuit, the coordination was there. Uh, he was able to move around, get around. I think the, the, what you can't necessarily see into in the summer showed up in the fall uh, through the film, uh, his ability to, to, to get after as a run blocker. Um, you know, He's not just a guy that that's relying on that length to just covering space uh you know he's a guy who's got some authority to him as well it seems like he's been coached up pretty well at avon old farms up in connecticut and and for those who are not familiar avon old farms is one of those prep programs up in connecticut that that does garner power five interest on a cyclical basis this is not one of those like one-off wow where do you find him things this is a guy who's within an institution within a program that does set up guys for power five success and opportunities and just to reference the other point you made, because it's a really unique one, is the hockey background. And he wasn't skating around at six foot seven, based on the story that Brian Doan had up at Lions twenty four no. on the weekend. He was about six foot four, uh, two hundred and fifteen pounds, skating around as a, as a high school freshman, uh, playing tight end on, as a freshman on the on the football squad. Um, but now here he is. The physical development has continued. I had conversations with coaching staffs uh, on, on the hockey side of things and on the football side of things as as that development. Or, built and then the offers began to come and, and you get to a fork in the road as an athlete and I think he made a very wise decision in going the football route he's also a, an example of a guy Tyler who reclassified um you know at the prep level I believe so we've seen that a few times from New England players who spent an extra year that often sets them up maybe to come in and, and and when they're away from home maybe to come in and just be prepared for what life might be like on a college campus and so there's a lot to love about this because again we're not talking about a player who's going to be factoring into this upcoming roster we've still got at least a year before this guy's on campus and already 270 plus pounds uh, i just i think it's tempting to go project here 
but I don't think he's a true project kind of guy. I think there's a, a lot already set in place and set in motion that leads you to believe he belongs on a power five roster of the caliber of Penn State. So kudos to Phil Troutwine for getting this one done. And if you're able to, Tyler, just kind of talk us through the recruiting process that he navigated, that Penn State navigated to, to getting this one to the finish line. You know, really, when Penn State offered back during the spring, that came following Phil Charlton being in New England and checking out Ellison and getting eyes on him in person. So clearly he liked what he saw that day. You know, so this has been going on for a while. Then you get him back to campus, to camp, and he turns in the performance that he did. I think from the Penn State perspective, it definitely heightened the interest and solidified his place on the board. Because, you know, once the staff got those verified measurements and, you know, all the testing numbers that go into evaluating a prospect, and then he follows that up with a standout camp performance, it's kind of like, okay, we got something here. We got something we can work with. We got something that we can develop if we can get this guy to town. And really, Alessina, you know, he didn't make a ton of visits beyond Penn State. He wasn't really popping up elsewhere. Again, like I mentioned, some of that has to do with the fact that Avon Olfarn was playing a lot of games on Saturday, and he just didn't really have the chance to do so. But talking to him, I always got the feeling that Penn State, you know, was really standing out early on. The moment that offer came in, it kind of it seemed like the Nittany Lions were kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the pack. And, you know, obviously we saw that come to fruition this past weekend with the commitment. You know, you mentioned, you know, preparation and comfort. I think the fact that he's an Avon Old Farms kid played into this from a Penn State perspective as well. You know, there's a lot of comfort recruiting that program. It's a place the Penn State staff has been plenty of times. It knows that Avon Old Farms produces players who are ready to go at the next level. You know, they're comfortable with what it takes to be a highly productive player. You know, those guys are all going to put in the work because that's what you have to do if you want to survive at a program like Avon Old Farms. And all these guys, when they get to college campuses, they're ready to go. They're, you know, they're familiar with living on a campus and everything that that entails being away from home. So there's not as much of an adjustment as there is with maybe a public school prospect. So I think all of that kind of factor into Penn State feeling really good about LSE and where he's headed. You know, the trajectory, I think the arrow is definitely pointing upward, and Penn State will love to get his hands on him. That's what they're going to be doing now that he's on board. He's the number 42 overall offensive tackle prospect in 2025 rankings, according to 24-7 Sports. We're going to get a lot of looks at Alessine to come beyond his junior season. We've got camp circuits coming up. He'll be here at Happy Valley, I'd imagine, maybe multiple times. We will really get our, our to, to wrap our mind around what this guy is. We'll get some fresh clips. It'll be exciting to follow and monitor exactly what his maturation process looks like between now and when he's actually making an impact on the field for Penn State. Um, getting over to to, to Alicine's, uh just the situation here, by the way, if the, at offensive line, if you missed it, we had uh, Caden Wallace on our last episode last Friday. Um, and not only was he great about breaking down his NFL outlook and, and what senior season meant to him, he did a really good job of, of discussing this offensive line room and its growth under Phil Troutwine and, and, and really a big tip of the cap to Frank Leonard, who's been an assistant here on campus for a few seasons now. Um, and, and we saw them really piece together a strong class last cycle, going in at a former five-star recruit who's got a bunch of eligibility in Nolan Rucci. And now the 2025 offensive line class is underway. I shouldn't really say it's underway, Tyler, because Jalen Matthews got that king that got that thing kickstarted a long time ago. But the New Jersey blue chip backed off that commitment. He's exploring other options. So it's a bit of a reset. So Alicine fills the first slot as, as we get another look at the offensive line class for 2025. What is potentially next? And, and what do you think the, the, the goals are as Phil Troutwine and company put in that work and, and try to build another strong group in the trenches? I mean, there's a chance the second slot is already filled, depending on what the projection of Brady O'Hara right. is. You know, he's one of those jumbo athlete type guys who has played tight end throughout his high school career up at uh, Pittsburgh North Catholic. 
you know, he's done some work on the offensive line for North Catholic as well, playing left tackle. So you know, there's a chance he winds up on the offensive line. Penn State would really just have to see where his development takes him. He's one of those guys who's very open to doing whatever the Penn State staff wants him to do. And I think there's, you know, kind of what we just talked about with Alessine. O'Hara has a lot of athleticism. So if he winds up being a tackle, he'll be in the mold of one of those guys who's already bigger. He's six foot six. You know, he, he still add a lot of good weight and he's still got that athleticism. Though if he winds up at tackle, he fits the mold. So that's a plus for Penn State. You know, moving forward, I think a lot of the offensive line focus centered around two in-state guys and Josh Williams and Mike Carroll, who I mentioned at the top of the episode. You know, Carroll going to be making it back to campus for a visit this weekend. That's a big one. You know, he's got some other programs pushing pretty hard. Michigan, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida. There's a lot of competition for Carroll, but Penn State has fared really, really well with the legacy prospect. And I think that the Nittany Lions are his leader at this point entering that visit. So it's another opportunity for the staff to distance itself. You know, Williams was on campus over the weekend. And from everything we've heard, it was another good visit. I think Penn State continues to fare pretty well with him, but he's going to continue taking visits. He may be checking out some SEC programs and, you know, that's not a done deal. He's still fielding offers, but Penn State has done really two, really two in-state guys we're high in the Nittany Lions right now. I think the Penn State staff has reason to feel optimistic about their chances of landing the Happy Valley. You know, those are two of the focuses on the interior. And, you know, you got one, maybe two tackles on board. I think you're going to see, you know, guys, when it comes to tackle pursuits moving forward, guys who continue to fit the mold. You know, the, the big athletic type guys, I think those will be the names who garner the most attention on Phil Charlotte's tackle board moving forward. But they're off to a good start with all senior, I'd say. Bullet points on Brady O'Hara since you mentioned him. He did a really good job bringing that up because I missed to bring that up. Uh, he's a top 24-7 prospect. Uh, he's the number 14 tight end recruit right now, number seven in the state of Pennsylvania. But we do have him listed as an athlete. So don't pay too much attention to that tight end ranking. Uh, pay more attention to, this, to the, the frame, the athleticism, and the fact that this guy is fully on board with Penn State. He was on campus a bunch of times. Uh, we saw him working with Ty Howell in the tight end group. But you said it. He's six foot six. He's about 235, 240 pounds right now as a high school junior. What does it look like when he's 19, 20 years old? Exactly. Again, a, another fun guy to monitor in this 2025 class. And thank you for, for bringing him up in that particular conversation. Uh, let's go over to some new targets because uh, this is a really, really big group that, that emerged, I thought, coming out of junior day. Uh, we also have another target to get to that didn't pick it up at junior day, but will be here this weekend. So we're going to pack him into the conversation. But a couple of tight ends at the top of this list from guys who came to camp and then go home newly added to that Nittany Lions target board and one of them is, is a guy that we discussed on the last episode of this podcast and previewing the first junior day in-state tight end Andrew Olish this is a spot where they very much can recruit nationally in fact they've recruited internationally at the position when you factor in Theo Johnson a couple of years ago but now there's a few of them at the forefront we're going to talk about Luca Gilbert in a bit because he comes away with an offer but all of a sudden you've got a guy in the state of Pennsylvania in Olish at a you know a position where Penn State can really be picky and choosy considering their track record yeah, Ty Howell right now is recruiting from a very big pool of talented tight ends. And a lot of those tight ends are even out of region guys. But they've got a pretty good one on the board now in Andrew Olish. He's been on Penn State's radar for a little bit. You know, they kept an eye on him throughout his junior season. He visited a couple times. So he's no stranger making it back to town this past weekend. And he leaves with an offer. You know, it was one that we highlighted entering the weekend as, hey, keep an eye on this guy. You know, there's definitely a chance Penn State pulls the trigger on an offer depending on how things check out. 
everything checked out. You know, he's got the athleticism working in his favor. He's a good pass catcher. He put on some good weight, which I think was probably the main thing, you know, because he was a little bit on the lighter side when he first started visiting Penn State. And I think Penn State really wants to see that physical development because the fact of the matter is if you're playing tight end for the Nittany Lions, you got to do a lot more than just catch passes. You know, you're going to have to block. You're going to play as an MI tight end. You're not going to be just splitting out out wide for the entirety of your career in state college. So they want to make sure a guy like Olish is capable of doing that. Obviously the offer goes out. So they feel confident about his ability. And, you know, he hasn't, he's been very clear with me. It's a big offer in his recruitment, you know, Brian don't caught up with him and he expressed a similar sentiment, but he's another in-state guy who's going to continue taking visits. His recruitment is really starting to get rolling. I mean, just this morning I was talking to Michigan state offered Duke offered. So he's really starting to get going, man. He's getting a lot more attention. And I think it's well-deserved if you pop on the film, it's a quality prospect. And Penn state has been recognizing that for a while. And now he is officially on the board with an offer from the Nittany Lions. So I'd suggest keeping a pretty close eye on him moving forward. Uh, Southern Lehigh High School here in Pennsylvania, number 31 tight end as things stand now in the 24-7 sports rankings. And then the other guy, more established on the radar. He, he's a certainly a bigger frame guy. I think Olish is, is still sub 220 pounds right now as a high school mm -hmm. junior. Luca Gilbert listed at six foot seven, 230 plus pounds, number 13 tight end in the country, top 24-7 prospect out of Lakota West High School in Westchester, Ohio. He was one of those names we previewed for the junior day. He got to campus. He got his offer. He's got about 20 offers on the table at this point. What do you think about Luca Gilbert and this development? I think it's a really good offer because I, I love him as a prospect, really. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's in a different kind of mold. You know, he's six foot seven. He's got a basketball background, really, really athletic. You know, the wingspan is obviously pretty impressive. And again, another guy with solid junior season film. You know, it's not just projection. You know, so these guys are showing out on tape as well. So he makes it to town. You know, the Penn State's pedigree developing tight ends is a big reason why he wanted to make the visit in the first place. You know, he's seen guys like Mike Jacecki make to the next level. And he was really excited about getting with Hal and learning more about him and, you know, his plans for his potential development. And he was just really liking everything that Penn State was saying. He's looking forward to building that relationship. I think Penn State's looking forward to building the relationship as well. So that's a mutual feeling. And he's one of many on the board that Penn State, I think, is going to have a legit shot with moving forward. Again, Ty Howe, he's recruiting from a big group. He's not just recruiting from a big group. You know, he's not just throwing offers out there. Every guy that Penn State has offered so far at the tight end position in the 2025 cycle, they've spoken so highly of him. So it seems like, you know, his presence, he's going to have the nitty lines in the running for some really, really intriguing talents at tight end in the cycle and, you know, moving forward as well. I mean, he's done a heck of a job on the trail recently, and it's showing with some of these offers and their feedback from those prospects. Yeah, and, and just a reminder why these tight ends are willing to, to take long looks at Penn State, even if they've, they've, they've got uh, a little maybe clearer pathways to playing time on other campuses, the track record, and, and this predates Ty Howell, and he has done a fantastic job in, in maintaining the standard, but you go back to Tyler Bowen, Ricky Ronnie before him. And I know historically there are there have been some fantastic tight ends. Kyle Brady comes to mind, of course, for a lot of Penn State fans. But more recently, and, and what's really more relevant to the current crop of recruits, is that they have strung together three consecutive starters going in the second round of the draft. You mentioned Mike Gusicki, followed up by uh, Pat Fryermuth, followed up by Brenton Strange. Now what does Theo Johnson do with the next few months to, to set the stage for him in the NFL draft? And what does Tyler Warren do with his uh, extra with his additional year on campus that he's using to, to set the stage for him in the 2025 NFL draft? And as we know, 
you'll work your way down the group. You got Andrew Rapelier, you got Luke Reynolds, Jerry Cross is a former four star. Joey Schlafer was a hell of a high school talent. And so, and by the way, not Nick Bowers. I don't want to knock him. He he was along the way a backup tight end here, and he carved out a career for himself in the NFL. So you'd understand why why players keep showing up, and that's kind of setting the stage for the next name I wanted to get to. Tyler, he does he he was not on campus this past Saturday, but he recently picked up a Penn State offer. He will be on campus this weekend, per your reporting. Hayden Bradley, six foot five, two hundred and fifteen pound tight end out of Buford, Georgia. He's got SEC schools chasing him, SEC schools chasing him. He's got Coach Prime chasing him up in Boulder, and and now Penn State enters the fray and gets him on campus uh, very quickly. Another tight end prospect whose stock overall is on the rise. You know, Georgia Tech offered over the weekend. That's where he was. He was in Atlanta for a visit with the Yellow Jackets. A couple of other group of five programs offered. The big one came this morning. Florida extended an offer to Bradley. And another guy who I really like. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of upside with him. He's still coming into his own as a tight end prospect. Plays at one of the best programs in Georgia at Buford High. So that you know he's been he was productive in that offense, catching passes from uh, Nebraska Sonny Dylan Rayola. So his film checks out, and he's going to be in town this upcoming weekend. That offer went out while Hal was at Buford to check in with him. And really, those two had a really great conversation. He's really looking forward to getting to town, getting to know more about how. Kind of looking for some similar things that Gilbert was looking for. Looking to not only learn more about Penn State's pedigree with tight ends, but what goes into you know the development of that pedigree. You know, What is it about Penn State's plans for tight ends that gets those guys to the next level? That's one thing that Bradley's looking to learn. And really, you know, I think he's a guy whose stock is going to continue to rise. I think Florida is probably not the last SEC program. That's going to extend an offer to him. So again, you know, Penn State's in the mix with a lot of talented tight ends, and Bradley's one of the newer names in the mix. But I think if he gets to town and his visit goes well, I think the Nittany Lions could be a player for him. We'll see. Uh, And it's no surprise to see them, again, just kind of taking a wide net approach to this position. They should be doing it there, should be doing it at linebacker. I know they do it everywhere, but when you just look at the recent track record, running back, of course, it's just it's an area that you've got to spotlight, you've got to sell, and then they've been doing a really good job of that. Let's get out of the tight end room, though, for a moment. Go to a couple new offers that surfaced from Saturday visits. One, a long-distance visitor. We'll stick on that theme. After Georgia tight end, we've got a Florida receiver in Mike Peterson, Jr. Not only is he from Florida, he's from Gainesville, Florida, the home of the Gators. He's still working on getting that Power 5 offer sheet together. There have been some programs that have stepped up. And Penn State, among the latest, obviously, this is a guy that's got some size. He's got a lot to add to that build. I think he's listed at 150 pounds, but six foot one, six foot two range and still growing. A lot to like about Mike Peterson, and clearly the Nittany Lions agree. Yeah, there is a lot to like about him. He's still kind of developing physically. I think he's still growing into his frame. Texas A&M was the first Power 5 program to offer him back in December. So Penn State was second. You know, he just added – we're talking about – it's like a theme today. We're talking about guys who got offers this morning. Tulane offered Peterson Jr. this morning. His visit played out really well. He really loved James Franklin. You know, he was telling me that – this conversation with Franklin really resonated with him. One of his favorite coaches that he's dealt with on the recruiting trail. So, you know, that speaks volumes. He's the son of Florida linebackers coach, Mike Peterson. So, you know, there's a, whenever you have a situation like that, a guy who makes these visits, you know, they're, they know what to be on the lookout for, you know, and they, they look, they know what to look for from staffs and programs. And Peterson was thoroughly impressed with what Penn state had to offer. So Marcus Higgins is still working on formulating that wide receiver board. So, you know, we're going to have to see, where Peterson ultimately falls at the end of the day, but it's an intriguing offer. Yeah, you know, again, another guy who I think has the potential to add more power five opportunities moving forward. You know, maybe, 
you know, maybe Florida even jumps in. Who knows? We got to see since his dad works there. But uh, it's a good offer for Penn State. I like Pearson Jr. I think there's some upside there. And uh, his visit went well. Much closer to campus and and certainly familiar territory for, for Penn State followers and for the Penn State staff down in Quince Orchard High School in Maryland. Another offer goes out. Aiden West, defensive back out of that program. The guy's right around six foot, 175 pounds. His offer sheet also brewing with the likes of Boston College, uh, Cincinnati, a local one in Maryland, Pittsburgh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, West Virginia. Definitely a lot of regional feel to it. This is a big one for West. And when Penn State's going fishing again and, and Quince Orchard, a school where they just signed Xavier Gilliam, and, and I was almost going to say Chop Robinson because that's what the comparison keeps being. Jalen Harvey, um, of course, Chop Robinson previously attended that school before he came on to the star at Penn State. So uh, there's a lot of history here, and Aiden West is is the next name to know down there. You know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with Aiden West ahead of his visit. You know, he's, he was he entered the visit on the board with some Power Five offers. So you know, clearly some staffs around the nation feel really good about his potential at the next level. I was interested to see what his size was going to be because word was he had a little bit of a mini growth spurt and that wound up checking out. And I think that played a big part in this offer going out. Again, you know, we talked about familiarity with Avon Old Farms and how that adds an element of comfort to a recruitment. I think you could definitely say the same thing about whenever Penn State goes down to Quinch Orchard and, you know, in inquires about a guy and eventually offers a guy. I think that West has, you know, I think there's upside on the outside for him at corner. You know, he's kind of similar to Xavier Thomas in a sense, but he's, again, he's added size. So I think there's a different, you know, element of his recruitment now. And Terry Smith, again, we mentioned Ty Howe and being able to recruit at a high level mm -hmm. and recruit from a big pool of talented players at that position. Terry Smith could do the same at corner. So where does Aiden West fall when it's all said and done? It's still early in the cycle, so we're going to have to see. But I'd anticipate him back on campus in the spring for another visit with the staff. That relationship is going to continue to grow, and the evaluation will continue to go on as well. Yeah, and Penn State, in, in, in a matter of, of weeks, really, uh, adding A.J. Uh, Harris out of Georgia, adding Antoine Belgrave-Shorter and, and John Mitchell, those are three cornerbacks on this 2024 roster that that carry combined 11 years of college eligibility, which puts you in a much better spot with some of the younger pieces here, of course, not everyone's going to stick around for four or five years, as we well know, but uh, that 2025 cornerback class, you've set a high expectation based on what Terry Smith has done. Offer goes out, familiar school. You immediately are kind of drawn to this recruitment with Aiden West and with the Nittany Lions. From new offers to guys who are more established on that 2025 target board, Tyler, let's go through some of those names and maybe how they came out of the junior day experience with Penn State moving ahead. Let's begin with the name that that you addressed on our last episode of this podcast. And not only did you kind of call your shot and say that he's a guy to watch on commitment possibilities, you actually put in a crystal ball pick coming out of that podcast last week, going into the weekend for Alex Tache, the in-state linebacker out of Latrobe. He was back here. Your crystal ball pick preceded his visit. As of now, he has not popped up as a member of this 2025 class. But where's your confidence level based on what you're hearing coming out of his latest trip to Happy Valley? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that pick. I think Penn State is the team to beat with the in-state linebacker. And, you know, he got the chance to catch up with Brian Doan and discuss his visit and everything that transpired while he was in town. And he also laid out the potential for a February decision. So I think this is one. I'm set it on – when did we record last week? Was it Thursday Friday. or Friday? Friday. You know, I felt it was one that could end sooner rather than later. I wasn't necessarily sure it was going to happen during the weekend. You know, I was definitely keeping an eye on him because he's one of many who are high on Penn State. 
But, you know, he's been consistent in saying that maybe another visit or two elsewhere before coming to a final decision. So it was 50-50 on whether or not this was going to get done during the weekend for me. But I think Penn State has definitely just continued to fare so well with him and has really established itself as his leader. So I feel good about that crystal ball pick, man. I, I think that one's going to end well for the Nittany Lions when it's all said and done. You're feeling pretty good that when this team wraps up spring ball and the blue-white weekend and, and all the recruits come to town, that, that he'll be wearing that commitment label by then? Yeah, I, I think so. Given the timeline that you know he has presented on the record and just everything that has gone into this recruitment from the Penn State side, how often he's been on campus, what the offer meant to him when it was issued, I, I feel pretty good about that timeline. Yeah, a portion of time now between the, now and, and the end of spring ball where we tend to see a class swell up a little bit. It's yeah. up to eight right now. Wouldn't be surprising if they were up near a dozen in that vicinity. And then, of course, you're watching that that June to July area that follow the official visits for kind of that next burst where, when classes are built. Um, for, from a local guy to a guy who got in an airplane for this trip, or maybe he didn't and he just drove a long way, uh, Elijah Melendez, who is a four-star linebacker, um, in the composite, he is also a Miami Hurricanes commit, six foot two, two hundred twenty-five pounds, at Osceola High School in Kissimmee, uh, Florida. Uh, a lot to like about his prospect profile. What you don't like about this, if you're Penn State or anybody trying to come get him north, is that he's committed to Miami and, and he's got that local flavor to his process. But what stood out here? Tom Allen's in town now. He was able to get together with Elijah Melendez. Generally speaking. Does this move the needle for you with the Miami Hurricanes commit, spending some time here on town? It's probably too early to say. I think the relationship between Allen and Melendez needs to continue to develop. He seemed to like him from my conversation with him, so that's a plus. And, you know, again, when you have a guy – I feel like we always say this with out-of-region visitors during the winter. When you have a guy who, you know, makes it to town who's not from the Northeast and, you know, is especially from a place like Florida – who's willing to come to Penn State when the weather's not the greatest. You know, it's cold out. He's just, a lot of these guys aren't used to that, and they want to come. He got a genuine feel for yes. uh, for uh, Central Pennsylvania winter this past weekend. It was not one of those fluke 50 degrees January. It was exactly. a truly a, a wintry day. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think there's an added level of it for him, too. He's already committed to a program, and he still decided to make that trip. And, you know, he mentioned to me the possibility – of an official visit in June. I do think there is a good chance of that happening, depending on how his recruitment plays out. But it really depends who you talk to with Melendez. You know, it, there are people who think he's pretty locked in with Miami and he's just, you know, betting all of his options, as I think every recruit should. There are some people who think if he's going to make a move off that Miami commitment, maybe Florida is probably in the best chance to get that one done, you know, have him stay in state just at a different program. So it really, it seems like it's kind of too early to get a true pulse on where this one is heading. But from what we do know, based on our conversation with Melendez, I think Tom Allen, the relationship there, it's off to a good start. I know he likes James Franklin a lot. That relationship between those two is pretty good. So Penn State does have staying power with Melendez, I think. It's really going to come down to the direction he wants to take his recruitment. You know, does he want to continue making visits elsewhere? Does he want to, you know, be 100% locked in with Miami? We're just going to have to see. Speaking of linebackers, speaking of Tom Allen, a uh, piece just surfaced over at lines247.com as we're recording here on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the great Brian Doan chiming in with, with the story on Anthony Saka, the Nittany Lions legacy, getting back to campus for the first time in more than a year. Much has changed in his recruitment. He's gone out and seen the world a bit in, in terms of the college football world, um, but circling back. And, and so a, a very detailed uh, story up on Tuesday afternoon for our VIP subscribers at lines247.com. Just wanted to, to get that out there on this episode 
start of the podcast because the stories and updates have been coming fast and furious. Uh, another highly rated defender to get to here, uh, Kanoa Winston, the number two safety in the country right now. Uh, his cousin, as we've discussed several times, is KJ Winston, Nittany Lions starter in the secondary. Uh, he keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. I know everybody wants this guy, but where does Penn State stand right now? Yeah, before we get into him, I just want to say something on soccer real quick. Yeah. That article is a perfect illustration and kind of a reiteration of what we've been saying about him and his recruitment. You know, he he didn't visit Penn State for more than a year, right? So, you know, if you're a fan, you see that, you're like, oh, well, maybe he has a lower level of interest in the Nick Lions. That was never really the case. He just wanted – he visited Penn State so many times early in his recruitment, and he already built up so much familiarity with the staff. He really just wanted to get out and check out other places. That was really all there was to it. It was something that he told me when I watched St. Joe's prep play in New Jersey during the fall, and you know, he it's the similar sentiment now. So I definitely suggest checking out that article. It's a great read. It's a great insight into a linebacker who is high on Penn State's board. But moving over to Winston, again, it's kind of one of those situations where he's been on campus so many times now. It's like when you interview him, it's like, what more is there to say? about Penn State. He's kind of laid it all out there already. And Nittany Lions, another situation where the Nittany Lions continue to fare really well with the prospect high on the board. Kanoa Wentz is one of those guys who, when we talk about the 2025 board, one of the top overall targets. The staff really, really likes him. You know, and there's a lot of comfort. You know, he's KJ Winston's little cousin. So they they know, you know, it's a good family that he comes from. And just there, there's a lot of trust there already. And that plays into it. I think Penn State's going to be a long-term player. For Winston, you know, I, I there have been points in his recruitment where I've thought, hmm, maybe we should put a crystal ball pick in, but I'm going to hold off on that. I do think Penn State is in a really good spot with him right now, but Ohio State is a new factor in that recruitment. You know, new safeties coach Matt Guerrero, who was on Tom Allen's staff at Indiana, he's working Winston, and wouldn't surprise me if he pops up in Columbus for a visit with the Buckeyes. So we're going to see, you know, what direction that goes, but Penn State's done a lot of really good work with Canola Winston, another guy who got to know Tom Allen while he was in town over the weekend. Winston, a standout at the Gonzaga in, in Washington, D.C. Let's stay in that region, go over to Henry Wise High School, which is where Trent Wilson resides. He's a top 150 recruit like Kanoa Winston. He is a premier defensive lineman, six foot three, 270 pounds. And it sounds like based on this experience, and, and he's a guy who's got the Alabamas and Georgias and, 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 and Michigans of the world on that offer sheet. Seems like Penn State's going to remain in the mix near the top of his recruitment after his trip to Happy Valley. Yeah, Penn State's definitely going to be in play for Wilson up until he makes a decision. Between the relationship with Deion Barnes, the relationship with the staff overall, and really just, I think, his appreciation for the manner in which Penn State has recruited him. You know, he seems to come away with that family-type feeling every time he makes it to campus. I think a lot of factors have worked in Penn State's favor with Wilson, but he's going to continue to get out and make a ton of other visits. So his recruitment is going to be a longer process as he has laid out himself probably closer to the beginning of the early signing period next winter. So Wilson's going to be a guy we're probably talking about for a long time because his recruitment is far from over. But Penn State is going to come up in every conversation because they're an official visit candidate and they're definitely a candidate to receive a commitment when Wilson sits down to make a decision much later in his recruitment. I feel pretty good about that. Penn State has done a lot of good work with him early on. He's built up a lot of goodwill with Wilson. Let's finish this segment on, on those established targets with a couple guys at receiver, Lyric Samuel out of New York City, and then Zymir Smith out of Maryland. Uh, each of these guys had a chance to spend time not only with Marcus Higgins, the, the wide receivers coach who's now working his way through year two on campus, but also Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator who took over that job officially after the Peach Bowl. 
what are we hearing from these receivers and, and, and what are we generally hearing as the picture begins to get painted about what Marcus Higgins might be able to accomplish in the 2025 cycle? Yeah, like I said earlier, you know, that board's still coming together, but I think with guys like Samuel and Smith, you have a little bit more clarity on their standing. I think those are guys who are closer to the top of the board as opposed to some other names that we've discussed. And both back in town over the weekend, you know, Lyric Samuel, Zymir Smith, they're different kind of prospects. You know, Samuel is more of like that big bodied wide out. I believe we got him at 6'4, 185, and, you know, he adds that element on the outside. Smith's a little bit smaller, I believe he's around 5'10. But, man, is he electric. I mean, he can do a lot of good things with the ball in his hands in open space, making guys miss in open field. So there's a lot of intrigue surrounding both skill sets, and Penn State has done well with both. The big thing for me with this pair is Samuel has visited Penn State more than anywhere else in his recruitment. This was his seventh visit. And then you look at Smith, who is a prospect who has prioritized visiting Penn State on multiple occasions. I remember catching up with Zymer Smith when Penn State first offered, and he took a visit the following weekend. There were multiple schools pushing to get him on campus for a visit that weekend. He was like, no, nah, I'm checking out Penn State. And again, even this past weekend, he was originally planning on visiting the 27th, but there was an alteration to his schedule. And, you know, he decided Penn State's the place I want to be the weekend of the 20th. You know, again, another situation where he could have changed course. Say, oh, I'll visit another school that weekend and then circle back with Penn State later on. No, Zamir Smith wanted to be in State College getting back with the staff. So I think that speaks – to his level of interest and positive feedback from both of those guys early on in the cycle. And look, you know, that board is going to continue to evolve, but Samuel and Smith are going to be at the forefront of the conversation. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. Hello everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called the rest is football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Committed recruits were also in town, Tyler, and the one I wanted to focus on here before we, we get ready to move on and, and, and shift focus to Julian Fleming, the new receiver pickup for Penn State out of the transfer portal, uh, is Beckham Kritza, the quarterback who's committed uh, in November to Penn State at a really interesting time. His commitment came within 48 hours of Mike Yersich's dismissal as offensive coordinator. Obviously, it predated the arrival of Andy Kotelnicki as the offensive coordinator for the Nittany Lions. Uh, this was his first chance to get Buck on campus since that decisive weekend for himself, and, and which we all remember for the Michigan loss here in Happy Valley. But what did this visit mean to him? What did it mean to Andy Kotelnicki? Because you had a pretty detailed piece up at Lions 24-7 following your conversation with Kritza. I think it probably went about as well as it possibly could have gone. For Kritza, he loves Andy Kotelnicki. I mean, he went as far as calling him a genius, and he thinks he's a perfect fit in his scheme. So I think uh, those two are definitely on the same page early on. I think the one thing with Beck of Kritza, I think Penn State fans need to remember is, you know, he committed, he did commit at an interesting time, but he committed to James Franklin and he committed to Danny O'Brien, and both of those guys are really high on Kritza's skill set, and that carries a ton of weight. And now that that relationship with Kotelnicki is really coming along nicely, and it seems like from all parties involved, you know, there's a, there's a lot going well there. So Kritza is taking on an early leadership role 
in this 2025 class. You know, he didn't just visit to catch up with Kritza. He visited to catch up with the staff and do some peer recruiting while he was at it. You know, I, when Alcina was a guy that he was talking to, he was talking to Lyric Samuel. He was talking to Zymir Smith. You know, he was trying to pitch those guys on joining him in state college. He's been public recruiting guys on social media as well. I and mean, he's been pushing to get Elijah Melendez to join him in town. So I think Kritza is, he feels really comfortable with the Penn State staff, he feels comfortable with his commitment, feels comfortable with Colton Nicky, and he just wants to be one of those guys who helps drive talent to the 2025 recruiting class. It will be pretty fascinating to see Kritza out in Boulder, Colorado, trying to be a point man for, for Penn State's yeah. recruiting efforts. And yeah, that, that's modern college football because of social media, because of text threads. It doesn't really necessarily matter how close you are to campus until you enroll. The, the one thing where that can get a little bit disrupted is when guys start stringing together these, these summer camp prospect visits and they just keep coming back because they're a car ride away. Uh, I'm assuming with Kritza, it might just be a one and done camp experience. Maybe he'll surprise us and get here for a few of those. But, uh, you know, considering his lack of proximity to Penn State, it's impressive to see the kind of legwork he's doing uh, just in a couple months as a, as a commit. But that's the job of a quarterback in a class. We say that every cycle. There's also an eye on the 2026 class through all of this process. Penn State going to be welcoming, welcoming in some high-level sophomores who are part of that 26 class. Not a lot of rankings have gone out there, but they have gone out to a few in Pennsylvania. One of them is Tyler Merrill. He's considered one of the premier uh, offensive linemen in the country as of now in the 2026 class. He has been to Penn State camps. He's been on their board for a while, and he's currently number 53 overall in 24-7 sports early assessment of the 2026 class. He was a big-time sophomore on campus last weekend. You caught up with him. Tyler Merrill, Penn State. Uh, is, is this a marriage that is in the works, or is this a situation where Merrill has a lot of navigating to do in his recruitment before we get into that kind of conversation? Probably a little further off before we jump into that conversation, but I think Penn State is definitely at the top of his list right now. I mean, you just scroll back and look through all the quotes that he's had and how highly he has spoken to the staff and James Franklin in specific. Those two have become pretty tight, and he knows exactly how much of a priority he is for the staff. So I think it's trending that way, but definitely a little bit off before we have that conversation. He's going to be at Rutgers this weekend. It's going to be his first time making it to New Jersey. So he's going to get a look at uh, Scarlet Knights and Greg Schiano's program. You know, so I don't believe Rutgers has offered yet, so that'll probably change on Saturday. But Merrill and Penn State, it's a good it, it's a good relationship. Everything is pretty much going well there right now. Again, it's still early, but you got to like where Penn State's at. We had kind of uh, talked about the juxtaposition of Tyler Merrill and Kevin Brown, who's another big-time offensive line prospect in the state of Pennsylvania out of Harrisburg. Uh, Merrill's out of Cumberland Valley. Uh, but you've got Merrill, who's like 310 pounds or so as a sophomore. Yeah. And then I think Kevin Brown was just eating everything he could, trying to push towards 250 last summer. Uh, and it's just these are two high-level prospects and they kind of show just different physical paths, different different body types as you work your way through for Phil Tratwine and Frank Leonard and, and this offensive line assessment for James Franklin. Um, we got Patrick Murphy waiting to get to, uh, to Julian Fleming. But before we do that, uh, Tyler, what do we make uh, uh, early on? It's only Tuesday, but looking ahead to this Saturday, because here we go again, Penn State reloading for a junior day. That list is coming together. I know there's a bunch of confirmations already available for our Lions 24-7 VIP subscribers, but who stands out early right now for you personally? I know you mentioned somebody earlier, but what do you think about the way this list is coming together? Yeah, it's coming together pretty nicely. You know, Michael Carroll has already mentioned. Jadon Blair, the top 24-7 safety, was really high. Excuse me. On Anthony Poindexter's board, he's going to be back in town 
for another visit. A lot of out-of-region guys have already confirmed early in the week. Albert Hill is a 2026 corner who we saw camp during the you know, summer. You know I love Albert yeah, Hill. as a pro. Should, I mean, He man. was one of the most impressive guys. You, you, and you're, you're working with a smaller, slender frame, but you keep saying he's just a sophomore. Believe in the process. This guy's going to be a baller. Of course, he's out of Ohio, and that's going to be a dogfight. Yeah, and he plays at a pretty good Ohio program in Hoban. So you already know he's a guy who's going to be pretty coached up and ready to go when he gets to the next level. But uh, he's going to be back in town. Penn State really likes him. It's an impressive 2025 group early on. You know, I, I think it's going to be another good weekend for Penn State. But we're going to have confirmations continuing to roll in. So that list is going to grow pretty steadily, just like it did last week. Yeah, track that over at lines247.com. Jump on board now, 30% off an annual VIP subscription. You'll be able to get the lowdown on whenever these lists are coming together, whether it's a game day or a junior day event. Tyler Calvaruso, Brian Doan, and company helping spearhead those efforts. And uh, let's just really quickly, uh, like people can check out it, but Tyler had a good breakdown at lines247.com. I had a bit of a follow-up piece on Cooper Cousins because he made a huge jump. But this is where Penn State recruits who signed in the 2024 class landed in the final top 24-7 ranking which were released by our company on Monday afternoon. You've got Luke Reynolds leading the way at tight end, uh, number 29 overall. He maintained his five-star status. You don't see a lot of five-star tight ends ever uh, on a cycle-by-cycle -cycle basis. Cooper Cousins, as I said, big jump from number 122 to number 53, an offensive lineman who could play center for this team. He could ultimately play tackle for this team. A lot to like about him, really package ready as a freshman, which you don't say often about offensive linemen, to play and compete at the Power 5 level. Ethan Grunkemeyer, quarterback number 103, cornerback John. John Mitchell out of Florida is number 116. Running back Quinton Martin out of the state of Pennsylvania. He is number 130. Uh, Liam Andrews, a defensive lineman uh, from up in New England. He's number 144. And then Garrett Sexton, uh, the really intriguing former high school quarterback, uh, turned offensive tackle and, and one of those big six foot seven, six foot eight specimens, uh, 173rd overall. So Tyler has a write up with more details and scouting reports on each of these guys. But Mr. Calvaruso, I always appreciate the perspective. We probably could have gone another 10, 15 minutes, but we got to make room for another guest here. On on the episode and I, I think we'll get to you later in the week to look toward that next junior day which is lining up for saturday always appreciate you having me back on this all right good stuff as i promised earlier and a few times through that segment we've got patrick murphy who's been on this show typically to preview penn state versus ohio state matchups we're going to have a bit of a different conversation this time around it's something i hope to do with a lot of the transfer additions that penn state added in this month is go back to their former campus Tap into our 24-7 Sports Network, the guys who have been covering that team on a daily basis, covering those players on a daily basis, and among them is Patrick Murphy out in Columbus. Patrick, happy to have you back on. Thanks for your time. Hey, Tyler. I uh, tried to wear some Penn State colors for you here uh, to, to help, uh, you know, suck up to the fans a little bit. So hopefully, hopefully everything <laughs> I don't know. I say sounds good. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's any hope for you to, to win our fans over, but but we do have some things to get get to here uh, in terms of Julian Fleming, who you covered for four years. Uh, prior to that, I had a chance to cover him at the high school level, where he was the top prospect in the state of Pennsylvania, ultimately the number one receiver recruit. We caught up with Julian a couple weeks ago before he formally enrolled at Penn State. He's now underway the last couple weeks as a student athlete. In fact, he's got commercials out there right now. We're seeing NIL come to fruition on your television screens if you live in the region. Um, but with Julian Fleming hitting the portal after that Michigan matchup and, and before the postseason really got underway uh, for the Buckeyes, what was your initial reaction to his decision in there? And what were you kind of hearing around the program afterward? Yeah, I was a little surprised at first um, just because 
out of all of the transfer portal stuff that's happened with everywhere, but including Ohio State, that wide receiver room that, that Brian Hartline has run has really not been affected. Now they have had guys leave. Jameson Williams went to Alabama and obviously won a national championship. Uh, but he was a guy who was, you know, the third or fourth wide receiver, depending on what they were doing. Uh, they'd had some young guys transfer out, but Julian Fleming, I mean, a multi-year starter. I know the stats don't necessarily show what impact he had, but he, he was making a, a big impact at Ohio state. So initially I was surprised. Um, but I think you, you look at it, Brian Hartline's even talked about this a little bit. You know, there were conversations kind of about what his opportunities might be going elsewhere as opposed to what they would be for a fifth year at Ohio State. Uh, you mentioned the NIL part of it. I think when he moves out of a receiver room that had Marvin Harrison Jr. and, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba previously, you know, all these guys that Ohio State's had, Emeka Buka, um, now he has probably a bigger opportunity for something like that as well as maybe an opportunity to to do some more on the field without some of those guys kind of taking the attention from, from the quarterback and whatnot. So uh, I think looking back on it, I can understand why this made sense for him, but I was certainly surprised at first. He was a guy who was his entire career, despite not being an Ohio kid, um, was very much a Buckeye. And uh, I'm interested to see what happens next year when, when Ohio State goes to uh, – state college and uh in that game um i think it's becoming more and more common in college football to see your former teammates on another uh another team but it's still kind of weird to me yeah november in beaver stadium we'll, we'll get to watch these two teams meet once again penn state trying to break that that pesky losing streak that has really uh cost them time and time again but getting back to julian fleming something you you said there in in, in your answer uh the these kind of said the stat sheet wasn't necessarily reflective of his impact as a buckeye and i know when we're talking about receiver especially here at penn state right now where they really lacked production during the 2023 season People don't want to necessarily hear reasons why a guy didn't produce and put up big numbers. But during his time at Ohio State, Fleming totaled 79 receptions, 963 yards, seven touchdowns. A lot of that, the bulk of that done as a junior in 2022, 34 catches, 533 yards, and six of those seven overall touchdowns accounted for in 2022. But collectively, I just want to go back to that. You said kind of saying look beyond the box score with Julian Fleming in terms of what he did in Columbus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing to point out is his first two years, he was really banged up. And so he comes in, he's dealing with this shoulder injury that goes back to high school. He's coming from a high school offense where they ran the wing tee, as I'm sure you know, and people that followed uh, him and his, his high school career. So he had to kind of learn how to be a receiver in the Buckeye offense. He was a very good blocker, which is kind of what I was alluding to uh, in terms of his ability to affect the game without necessarily catching the ball he was very effective doing that, only hindered by the fact that he had this shoulder issue. Eventually had uh, at least one, maybe two operations on it, if I remember correctly, uh, and that got fixed. But at one point, he couldn't lift one shoulder uh, or one arm above his shoulder, which makes it hard to catch a football, I imagine. So mm. I want to say early on, it, he was affected by that. Now, as he, he did deal with some other injuries, never played a full season, but coming out of that junior year, um, you, you mentioned that's his best year, 34 catches, 533 yards, and six touchdowns. I thought this next, this upcoming season, which which was the 2023 season, would really be a breakout year for him in terms of that production. Obviously, there was going to be attention on Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka, who 
both had a thousand yards and uh, 10 touchdowns the year prior. It just didn't work out. I think Ohio State's quarterback play uh, with Kyle McCord, it, it, you know, they weren't able to get the offense cranked up as much offensive line play as well as what they've done in previous years with Justin Fields and CJ Stroud. And so there just weren't as many plays to go around throwing the ball. Uh, but I still think, you know, if, if you were to, to talk to Julian, and I know you did, I think he feels like he had a very productive career at Ohio State. And I certainly think there is a talented player there that can impact the game statistically. And so I don't think Penn State fans should look at this as a guy who won't be able to put up some numbers. I don't know if he'll ever be the player that maybe he people thought he was coming out of high school just because of all these injuries. But if he can have a healthy season and be maybe a, a more primary target in the offense, I think he can he can have really good, really good numbers for the Nittany Lions. He's now 23 years old. I think the last conversation I had really had with Julian uh, Patrick before the one we had a few weeks ago was he was probably 18, 19 years old. Uh, and there's a quote that I wanted to pick out and, and just read to our listeners. I don't think I ever actually addressed this particular quote, just kind of summarizing for himself what his time in Columbus was like. And he says, quote, Rocky is probably the best word to use for it. You know, I've been banged up a lot. I've had a lot of injuries, a lot of stuff going on, some good games, some not the best games. So there's been a lot of ups and downs throughout my career, but I feel like it's kind of carved me into who I am today, a team player, someone who can deal with adversity well and consistently just give my all. So without those experiences, I feel like I wouldn't be the same person I am right now. And I know he said going to campus, he felt like he was going to be the number one guy forever. You know, you, when you're the number one guy in the country at your position, you show up to campus, you just think you're going to be that kind of guy. And there he talks about his maturation process. I'm curious from you, you have a chance to, to check in with these players from time to time, just as we do here at Penn State. What stood out to you maybe about Julian Fleming, whether it was his demeanor, his attitude, and, and not just in conversations that you had from him, but conversations around the program about him. Was there a genuine maturation development that took place for him in Columbus? Certainly. And I think you kind of hit on it there. You come out as the top ranked receiver in the country. You show up on campus. First, you have to learn that offense like we were talking about. I think that was something that was eye opening for him a little bit. And then the injuries, um, you, you've got to learn how to deal with that. And sometimes accept the fact that maybe your college career isn't going to go the same way that you thought when you were coming out of high school at 18, 19 years old, like you were saying, Tyler. I think he once he accepted kind of where he was um, in terms of his role at Ohio State, I think that's when he started to, to really play better. Now, the health certainly was a part of it as well, right? Um, Again, reaching above your shoulder is imperative to catching passes. But I think once he, he sort of got comfortable in that role, comfortable in his own skin in terms of what he was as a Buckeye, and I definitely think there there was a maturation process. Um, now, I will say from the time we talked to him, we got to speak to him as a freshman to the end of his career, I thought he always handled himself really well. Um, he wasn't a, a me guy, so to speak, but Look, again, he was the number one receiver in the country. He he certainly had dreams of putting up Marvin Harrison Jr.-like numbers, getting out of Columbus in three years and being in the league by now, right? But I think he understood that, and, and a lot of guys at Ohio State, and I'm sure they say this at everywhere, there's different paths, right? And he had to accept his path, and now his path leads him back closer to home. And, and I think he sees this as an opportunity to – really kind of put an exclamation point on what has been a successful career, but maybe not as successful as he thought. 
something else that Julian said when he was being introspective about going to Ohio State, experiencing his time, and, and, and now coming back to Penn State. Um, he said, quote, I don't regret it. I went to a college. I got developed. I sat behind some of the best receivers in the country. I have a Big Ten championship. I got to play everywhere across the country. And then we went on to discuss all the reasons why he was excited to be in any line and why that move made sense for him in year five. I'm I'm wondering, what are you most curious about now that Julian Fleming is out of that receiver room? And, and I'll reiterate a point I've made a few times in this podcast, including Marvin Harrison. There are four first round picks out of that receiver room that Julian Fleming shared the position room with on campus. So that's what he was working with. Uh, Jahan Dotson is the only first round pick at receiver for Penn State uh, since 2003. So that's the reality here on this campus. And all, the other reality is this team needs help immediately at receiver. So what are you most curious to see now that he's in a new environment, a new receiver's room, um, and, and coming back closer to home? What will you be monitoring between you know now and, and, and when, Columbia, when Ohio State comes to town in early November? Just what it looks like when he can be, you know, whether he's the number one, number two receiver, I don't know how the depth chart will look, but certainly higher up in, in kind of the pecking order of progressions for a quarterback, I would imagine. Um, I just don't think he ever got that opportunity at Ohio State because of the injuries early on. Guys sort of started to pass him up. Um, you mentioned those first-round receivers. It was Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And I do think you know, he, he learned a lot from those guys. And I do think, as, as he mentioned, it was a benefit to be in the same room with guys that you know, went on to, to be first-round picks. But he was never able to be that, that top dog in the room in, in terms of where the quarterback looks first on almost every play. And you know, we'll see how it all works out in terms of that at Penn State, but I certainly think he will be higher up, again, if he can stay healthy. So you know, to me, this was a guy everyone was really excited about when he committed and, and stayed committed to the Buckeyes. And I do, like I said before, I do think that the production is in there if, if he can kind of put it all together and gets that opportunity. And so I guess the opportunity is the thing I'm most interested in seeing. How will Julian Fleming be remembered in Columbus? And maybe maybe it's a better question to ask after this upcoming season, after he faces them as an opposing player. But in terms of his Ohio State career, someone who did come to campus as the number one wide receiver recruit, but it's not like he was in a wide receiver room that wasn't producing along the way. So much competition there. Uh, you talked about some of the stuff he went through. Judging by some of the reaction on your message board to the story, and thank you for sharing it, that we posted mm -hmm. on your message board, seems like he's generally a guy that uh, Buckeyes fans are going to be rooting for 11 Saturdays out of the year this season. Is, is that seem accurate? And just long-term, how do you think Fleming's remembered in, in Columbus? Yeah, I think what you said is accurate. Um, I think, you know, there will be Buckeye fans, people that maybe don't pay attention every day, uh, that, that don't know the game as well, that, you know, will look and be like, oh, he left Ohio State. I don't, I don't want to cheer for him. But the vast majority of the people, the people that, you know, are on our message boards every day and, and understand kind of his career. We'll be excited to see him get this opportunity that we've been talking about. I mean, even a Jamison Williams, who really never did much at Ohio State, less than Julian Fleming, um, when he went on to, to do well with Alabama, Ohio State fans were excited. You know, Ohio State fans still want to claim Joe Burrow, who really never did much at all at Ohio State, but went <laughs> on LSU and have that career that he had. Um, so, look, I think if you're a part of Buckeye Nation – and, you know, you don't leave on bad terms. I think fans are, are generally looking forward to seeing uh, that progression afterwards and kind of what players can do with their career. It's still new, this whole transfer portal thing. So maybe that changes down the line. But certainly a guy like Julian Fleming, who went through so much and spent so much time in Columbus, you know, it's not like he left after two years because he didn't get an opportunity, right? 
He stuck it out for four seasons. He graduated from Ohio State. Um, he put a lot of work in to, to be as effective of a player as he physically could, and I think Buckeye fans respect that. All right, well, while I have you here, you mentioned the whole transfer portal thing just a moment ago. What the heck is going on in Columbus? Because they're on a spending spree right now. We saw Kinshawn Judkins doing some damage against Penn State's defense in Atlanta like three weeks ago. Now they're going to get ready to face him in the Big Ten in, in an Ohio State uniform. They got guys coming up from Alabama, the top defensive player on, you know, the top defensive prospect in the portal, the five-star quarterback. All of a sudden, they're part of the future of Ohio State. I know I'm missing some incoming additions, but. Our audience, I'm sure, is wondering what the hell is going on because uh, this just didn't, was not the approach and this was not what we saw from Ohio State in previous offseasons. It has been the craziest start to an offseason that I can remember. I, I can't, I feel like I can't even leave my laptop at home in case something happens. Uh, but no, I, I think honestly, the way these last few seasons have gone for Ohio State, and look, most programs in the country are going to take 11 wins a cotton bowl appearance or a Rose bowl, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but you know, at Ohio state, you can't lose to Michigan three straight years. It's hard to lose to Michigan one year, uh, much less three consecutive. You don't have this drought of big 10 championships very often. Uh, they haven't won one since 2020 and the pressure has started to mount on Ryan day a little bit. We'll, we'll have a new athletic director at Ohio state starting this summer, a guy who, while he spoke very fondly of Ryan day, at his introductory press conference, uh, he didn't hire Ryan Day coming from Texas A&M, Ross Bjork. So I think Ryan Day knows that, A, he needs to win because the you're at Ohio State and that's the demands and it hasn't happened in, in the biggest games these last few years. And uh, B, there's an opportunity here because they had eight of really 10 guys in the junior class that, can, that were really considering the NFL uh, coming back. And so you have this opportunity similar to what Michigan did a few years ago when Aiden Hutchinson and uh, those guys kind of led the way to Michigan winning their first Big Ten championship in, in quite some time. So there's an opportunity. And I think, you know, Ryan Day's also accepted the fact that the transfer portal is, uh, you know, a part of this game. And while he may not be a huge fan of kind of how it all works and would like to recruit kids from high school and whatnot, you know, if you're going to play the game with the best of the best, especially the teams in the SEC, uh, the new Big Ten that, that we're going to see here starting next season, you may have to do that. And, and look, I think there was also the opportunity with Nick Saban retiring, right? Like typically Caleb Downs um, isn't in the transfer portal at, at this point. You know, he just had an all freshman All-American season at Alabama. So there's also an opportunity there with some guys that they were recruiting out of high school that have quickly popped back up. And I think they they recognized this chance and, and jumped on it. And look, it surprised me. I wrote about it today that, that this is not what Ohio State has been. I don't know if this is what Ohio State will be in future years either. But this season, I think they're kind of pushing all their chips in and saying 2024 should be our year. Trust me, it has some attention here in Happy Valley as well, what, what's happening over in your neck of the woods. I want to finish with something that's also near and dear to Nittany Lions fans uh, as they monitor the Big Ten landscape, and that's the return of Bill O'Brien to Big Ten competition. Of course, he was the head coach here in between Paterno and James Franklin before moving on to the NFL as the Houston Texans head coach. He's gone on a bit of an odyssey. He spent some time with Bill Belichick in his final year with New England, and now he returns to the Big Ten with I, I know Penn State like to say they're on rival. Let's call the, the the brick wall that's been in their way, though. All of a sudden, he's on the other side of the coin. What's the reaction been in Columbus to this move? Because 
man, I know it caught a lot of people by surprise. Certainly. Uh, we, we had heard some other names kind of brought up for the, the offensive coordinator position. And it wasn't really till the day that it was announced or the day before, I guess it was announced uh, last week that, that Bill O'Brien's name really started to pop up. Uh, Ryan Day was looking for somebody to kind of hand off the play calling responsibilities to someone he could trust. And, and frankly, I think he would have done it a year ago had Kevin Wilson remained a part of the program. He went to become the head coach at Tulsa. Um, they promoted Brian Hartline to offensive coordinator, but Brian Hartline, a, a young coach still, even though he's been around a while at Ohio State, not a guy who's ever called plays. So Ryan Day kept doing that this year. But with with everything involved with being a head coach in today's college football, it's it's hard to do everything. And so I think he realized he needed to delegate some responsibility. He needed to find a guy he could trust. Bill O'Brien, obviously, having worked with Bill Belichick, with Nick Saban, been a head coach both at Penn State and with the Houston Texans, a guy that can come in and run Ohio State's offense. It doesn't have to be Bill O'Brien's offense and you know, has experience doing that, has worked with quarterbacks at a very high level. And so I think the initial reaction was a little concerned that this, you know, wasn't the sexy hire. Um, but I think especially, you know, people that really dove into it, it makes a lot of sense because he does have that experience. He has worked with some of the best head coaches to ever coach this game. And I think he's kind of exactly what Ohio State needs, even if he's not maybe the best offensive coordinator they could have gotten. He fits um, a lot of what they want in terms of a veteran guy who can call plays and help out the rest of the offense. Patrick Murphy covers Ohio State for the 24-7 Sports Network. You'll hear from him again as we get ready for that November matchup. But uh, we'll see what happens on our respective campuses between now and then. It is a wild offseason already. And as you said, probably none wilder than what you're dealing with on your coverage. So we appreciate you coming up for air a bit with us to talk on the podcast. Now you better go check your laptop to make sure you didn't miss anything. Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure something broke while we were, while we were doing this. But thanks, Tyler. I enjoyed it. All right. Good stuff from Patrick Murphy every time he hops on our podcast. And, of course, Tyler Calvaruso before him, always bringing the good stuff on Penn State football recruiting. We are back with another episode later this week. In the meantime, you can find all of our coverage at lines247.com. And there is a ton of coverage just in the matter of stepping aside to record this podcast. We had Brian Doan with an Anthony Saka update. We had Brian Doan adding several names to the visitors list uh, for this weekend. And we have Alan True, our, our Midwest recruiting director, uh, doing big stuff and, and, re and reporting uh, some Michigan uh, movement for Penn State there. So a lot to monitor, a lot to track as another junior day is brewing. Of course, there's a lot happening here on campus as well. We're, we're going to get a chance to hear from James Franklin in about uh, a week or two as the early signing or the late signing period comes our way uh, to, to kick things off in February. So that'll be another opportunity. I'd imagine we're going to hear from members of the coaching staff as well and perhaps a few players as February arrives but January has been all about the roster additions and picking those apart I thought we had a good chance to do that today with uh, Patrick Murphy so thanks to him on Julian Fleming as I said stay tuned for more conversations from other college beats about the newest Nittany Lions and what they did in their time with other programs for now stepping aside I am Tyler Donahue this has been the Lions 24-7 podcast <laughs>